Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 205th episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds podcast. And of course, it's South Asian Heritage Month. And this year's theme is all about celebrating the stories that make up our diverse and vibrant community. Today, we're exploring cultural perspectives on imposter syndrome and what businesses can do to create true gender equity. To join me in doing this, to discuss this further, is Pinky Gadiali. Pinky is a multi-award winning transformational life and business coach, working with career-driven professionals and entrepreneurs across the UK and the globe. She's passionate about helping her clients become empowered to achieve personal and professional goals with purpose, drive and vision. Whether it's asking for a promotion or chasing leads and closing business deals, believing in yourself is the first step towards creating a life you love. And Pinky will help you create your killer mindset that dismisses your inner critic and overcome imposter syndrome to put you on the right track for professional and personal success. Pinky is a master practitioner in neurolinguistic programming. NLP, trained with the co-founder Richard Bandler and qualified with the Institute of Leadership and Management in Coaching and Mentoring. In February 2020, she founded NetWomen.co, a global online community helping organizations increase their profitability and performance by elevating and retaining their female talent in tech. Net women believe in bridging the gender gap to make a difference by retaining talented women and keeping female leaders at the top for a sustainable in future. And their mission is 50-50 gender split and an equitable world. And in 2021, Pinky was a finalist for three awards, Leader of the Year, Women's Business Club UK, Entrepreneur of the Year, GIFEW Global Awards and the Great British Awards for Entrepreneurial Spirit. In 2022, she was featured in Scottish Business Insider magazine, winner of prestigious Global Women's Initiative Award and 100 Women in Tech by Barclays Bank. So she's currently the finalist for Women's Business Club and Excellence Through Diversity Award for National Mentoring Matters in 2023. So really excited about this. Pinky, a huge welcome to the show. Thanks, Leila. Oh, my goodness. I'm so honored to be on your podcast. I've been listening for the last three and a half years. And I absolutely love it. So thank you for having me here. Oh, I'm truly touched. And it's so lovely because you reached out to me and you said on LinkedIn, hi, you know, I've been listening to your podcast for a while. I'd really like to be a guest on the show. I was like, flipping heck, how do I not know who she is? So it's brilliant, (laughs) brilliant to have you on the show. So I've read out your bio, but I think it'd be really great for listeners to hear what you're working on at the moment. Wow. What am I not working on at the moment? (laughs) That is a big question. Um, So I do two things. I am a one-to-one coach for executive leaders, helping them um, overcome their own inner challenges, mindset issues, as well as imposter syndrome, and um, helping them become more inclusive leaders. And then the other part of my business, which is a separate business, is NetWomen which is all about changing cultures of organizations to bridge that gender and ethnicity gap and to move the needle on gender equality through equity. Super important and exciting stuff. And have you noticed any changes? And, you know, feel free to not comment on it if you don't want to. But with the rhetoric at the moment in the UK, um, that this has shifted or people seem more keen to equalize the playing field for you? I think that it's good, but it's not moving fast enough. 
I think that there isn't enough work around this. I I feel like we're so far away from moving this needle. I was looking at stats on it and it's 132 years, according to the World Economic Forum, to uh, reach gender equality in leadership positions. And I'm not even going to be alive when that happens. And that saddens me. And I guess net women only exists because of that reason that we haven't reach that sustainability where we're representing society and that's the thing it's shocking isn't it 132 years and I, I do feel that things it is a bit one step forward two steps back right um and that's really hard I think because I always used to say um we shouldn't in the nicest possible way we shouldn't really be in this line of work we shouldn't be needed and I think the goal is actually to make ourselves redundant in a way because then we'd know that equity and uh, equality had been reached Absolutely. And that's exactly it. I, I've said to my team, I've said to my wonderful directors that work with me on this and have the same mission, values, purpose and goals that our job is to be made redundant. Like we do not need to be here. This is not why are we doing this work? It's almost like it's a given in my head that we should be representing society 51% female why is that not in companies right now yeah well completely I mean you, you know that I totally agree with you and thinking about your work then with um leadership and imposter being an imposter syndrome coach for c-suite and um, how did you get into that line of work uh so my background I'm from a, a very different background to what I'm doing now um I'm an optometrist well I was an optometrist qualified uh, went to university. So as a South Asian uh, woman, first generation, born in the UK, um, obviously my parents were the biggest influence in my life. And they, the traditional thinking was, and they both well-educated, went to university, doctor, accountant, and basically said, you can go to university, but you are, you've got to either do law, medicine, or accountancy. And there were the three things laid on the table. And I said, I don't want to do any of them. I really don't. I want to actually learn a language and live abroad. And that's what I've always wanted to do. And they said, no, you can't do that because you can't get a job in that. How are you going to make a living? And so it was like, get a real job, inverted commas. And I just thought, you know what? I, don't, I really don't want to do this. So I went in, did the degree, came out and didn't really enjoy or love what I did. And during the time of working as an optometrist, you know, for those of you who've been to an optometrist, it's a three by three room. It's like a very dark room. It's it's like I used to call it my coffin. I'm going to my coffin now. <laughs> um, and I... I'm not that person. I like being out in the sun. I like nature, um, you know, all of those things. And I remember my patients coming to me and they wouldn't generally talk about their eyes. They talk about, you know, own personal issues, mental health issues or um, issues that they're having in their lives or their business. And then they turn around and say, I've never said that to anyone before. And I started asking my friends and uh, who were also optometrists and they were like, no, that never happens to us. <laughs> so 
in the end, I was like, well, I'm wasting my time here. I really need to change my career and do something that's um, more fulfilling and what I'm more passionate about. Um, and during that time, I was in a toxic marriage. Uh, and um, when I spoke to my then husband, he said, no, I, I need you to work in the practice. So at that point, I was thinking, gosh, this is really boring and I really don't love what I do. I'm sorry to all those optometrists out there. Um, <laughs> and I had my son and that was like, that was the trigger. I had my son, I got divorced, I moved to Edinburgh, started my new life with my boy, who's now 15, um, brought him up myself and ended up starting to work on myself and learning about leadership and training and doing neuro-linguistic programming uh, and just loving what I was doing and then finding out these things that people were telling me that were just so shocking about other women holding women back, about, you know, the lack of diversity, the lack of inclusivity, how can we change this? And then that's how I got into it. Long-winded answer. <laughs> no, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think that's so important. Um, and it's very interesting when I saw your work around imposter syndrome, because if you've listened to listeners episode 180, 185, imposter syndrome versus frustration syndrome, you probably know that I, you know, it's not my favorite term. Um, so, you know, what does the term imposter syndrome mean to you? It means that you are successful, confident, and that, you know, people think that if you are, if you have imposter syndrome, you're not confident. They're not mutually exclusive, right? So you were, you might have, you might be the most confident person in the world, and you've got all the degrees and all that external evidence that states that you're, you know, brilliant at what you do. But even still, there's that little voice, that inner critic in your mind that tells you that you're not good enough and that you don't deserve to be there and that somebody's going to come and knock on your door any minute now and tell you that you're not good enough and tell you to get out. And, you know, that feeling of being a fraud or an imposter can happen to anybody. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, what, what about men? Does it happen to men? Yes, it does. Um, it's men and women. And I think in some ways you can use it as a superpower. And I talk about this a lot to be able to create that killer mindset of yours, you can switch it and, and rewire and reframe the way that you're thinking about it. And that's what I work with, with my clients who are constantly growing and evolving, but also at the same time, learning to manage that voice and being very self-aware of what's happening there and knowing the tools and techniques to change it and and change it in a way that there is absolutely no way that that voice is going to get to you to the point where it debilitates you and that's the problem that we have with many people who want to say promote themselves in business or move out of their career and do something else maybe start a business or whatever that might be, whatever that looks like for you, there is that, you know, that voice that you need to, I suppose, change, not tame. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think there is a way around it. And I think the work that I've done, not only as 
um, learning about what I do um, and doing the courses and the programs that I've done, but also teaching others exactly what I've learned over the years. And I used to get imposter syndrome and I've experienced it and I still experience it every single day, but it's just being able to manage it. Yeah, that's really helpful because I think what I struggle with with this term imposter syndrome is the way it's been pathologized because obviously we know the original research was imposter phenomenon, which I think is much a better phraseology. And I feel very frustrated about the commercialization of it as well. So not what you're doing because it's rooted in research and but this, oh, buy this diary, do this. It's all pink. It's all fluffy. And that's what bothers me. And I think that I was having this conversation last week when I was delivering, co-facilitating one of the workshops at Imperial College on their Global Majority Leadership Programme. And I said, but how much of it is the system and how much of it? Because I've never faced imposter syndrome and I, you know, I just never felt seen. So for me, um, it's always like, I know I'm flipping good enough. Get out of my way and get me the platform. Um, so I totally agree with inner critics and we all have that. And that's to keep us safe. But I also feel like there's so much in the system. And Mindy Carling talks about this when she says, you know people say oh you're so confident and what they're trying to say is you're not white you're not skinny you're not you weren't from this super loaded background how dare you have confidence so how do you balance that in your coaching around what's the individual and what's the systemic I yeah there is a lot of that isn't there the external um influences that we are surrounded by people who don't look like us right especially when we when I'm looking at myself and when I was at school, it was all white girls. I was surrounded by people that didn't look like me, didn't act like me. They just didn't accept me as who as who I was. And so how do you then grow up in a world like that when you have to you have to face these challenges every single day? It's exhausting. And I remember going through school and Sunday I'd have almost like this feeling sick anxiety feeling Monday morning was like the worst thing for me and I think that uh to your question about external that environment has a massive impact on people and I can't imagine how difficult that would be if you're working in um in a position where you're the only one um, but I think one of the things that we need to remember is that we have our own power, we have our own superpower, and to remember to use that in those situations and really figuring out that changing the language around being the only or the other to the first. You're breaking barriers, you're doing something that's different and needed. So, and that's, that's tough too, because actually, you know, you've had all those lived experiences and now you have to push yourself past this comfort zone and go, you know what? I deserve to be here. I am enough and I have value and I'm going to bring this value to the table. I'm the first person to be doing this and I'm going to break those barriers. And I think that it's really important that you have good coaches sponsors mentors that help you through this that's really really important I do love that I'm you know I'm not on my own I'm the first person but who is on my support network to help me break the barrier and be a cycle breaker 
Um, yeah, and of course you work with all women from all backgrounds, but what have you noticed in particular, you know, we're talking about South Asian History Month, um, around the way that inner critic and the people that you support, how it negatively impacts their mental health, and then what they can do about that in a culturally competent framework? I think that firstly, there is a huge stigma around anything to do with mental health, imposter syndrome. And generally, I think South Asian women do tend to hold themselves back. And I think generationally and societally, we've always been told to, I mean, I, I was told this when I was younger, you're a girl, you have to sit there, be quiet, play sensibly with your toy and don't don't speak unless you're spoken to. And, you know, so many of us have been taught that then you have to go to school, university, go through the system, and then you're told the opposite. Oh, you have to be able to debate in class and you have to stand up and speak to a thousand students because you have to get yourself out of this mindset of, you know, you have to show who you are and you have to you have to be able to express yourself in a way that it has to be in front of people. And I never I could I was terrible at that. I absolutely terrible. I have had to work on that massively. Like throughout my life, I've had to work on how to present, how to train and coach people. Um, it's not been natural. So by no means is has this journey been a natural part of my life. Everything I've done is has been through sh sheer grit and hard work. And I think culturally what we need to start doing is not seeing imposter syndrome as a weakness that we have to start thinking. And the same with mental health issues. It, so many of us struggle with depression, anxiety, and that leads to, you know, the imposter syndrome where, where you've got the inner critic telling you that you're not good, in, good enough. And it's self-deprecating to the point where women don't want to go and apply for a job. We know the stats on that. You know, men would more likely apply for a job, even if they only meet 60% of the criteria. Whereas women want to go for the 100% realistically that's never going to happen but it's that perfectionism that literally takes over and when when we've been told to be perfect little girls with our perfect dresses and sit there and be quiet and not make a mess or no you can't climb on the climbing frame because your dress will get dirty or you might fall over and hurt yourself this is all fear in inducing you know it's not helping us it's not helping us get out of our comfort zone so we have to change all of that and that's all a process as well but working with people who can help you overcome that will really help you start thinking actually this is truly possible and what does that look like you know how how can that make me successful what is it that I really want not what my parents want not what, what everybody else is telling me, but what is it that I really want? And that's a process because we often don't have space to think about that. 
Um, and also we, what I call the inner rebellion. So we don't rebel as in we don't go out and drink and do drugs. Or some people do that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It might become a bad thing eventually if it impacts your well-being. Um, but mine was to just constantly speak up. And I always used to get told off for talking back, but that's what I did. <laughs> so maybe that's why you know imposter syndrome doesn't resonate with me that much because it was like f you get out of my way i'm gonna speak but yeah there is that i think there is that about um pleasing though so i do have that thing about trying to make your parents proud but that day never came and so it got to the point where i was like well actually i have to be proud of myself because i'm never going to get that recognition yeah so i think that's the other thing i think there's often that kind of almost like on a dog lead like come on you do this one more thing we'll be proud of you you do this one more thing and we'll see you but that day never comes so i think that's so key that point around working out what you need um but it's almost it's a very radical concept it is it's such a disruptive concept right no, most people don't want to argue that point at all and I, when i was younger i was called bossy right stop being so bossy and I was like, what? This is, you know, this is normal for me. Uh, and, and you, you know, you need to be less bossy uh, was, was what was told to me. But I have tapped into that bossiness. I quite like being a leader. <laughs> it's only bossy because we're brown women, right? And we're meant to be very quiet and ji sahib and serve everyone their tea and samosa and shut up. And th- th- this is the thing. Um, you know, so yeah, I uh, I got called aggressive by a colleague, actually. She was a really nasty woman. And, uh, you know, your point about women holding women back and one of our other colleagues, who was lovely. She walked up to her desk one day and went, here, your retirement papers, when are you going? And this colleague did not want to retire. She might have been of a retirement, more of a reti- what we considered to be a retirement age, but she was brilliant. Um, and then she wrote in this, I remember going on this team away day and she wrote about me aggressive. And I thought, mm, that's interesting. It really hurt me at the time. But I look back on that and I think, mm, isn't that interesting? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, we could, we could talk about that for ages, but go, going on to this, this idea of workplaces, what, what do you think they can do? And I, I don't think it's happening and I don't, we know that intersectionality is really behind, but to understand this connection between culture and gender and practical things they can do to equalize the playing field. Good question. Um, firstly, I think companies really need to look at their mission, vision, values, and goals. And then actually go, this is not just a tick box. We are actually going to do something about this. Not just, oh, this looks very nice on the website. And, um, you know, we see some diversity on the website, but actually not doing anything. And I think there needs to be more emphasis on gender equality through equity because there the equality and equity are not the same thing right so when i talk about leadership courageous inclusive leadership it means that anything that we talk about it's all about addressing equity because not everyone has the same opportunities as everyone else right it it just doesn't work like that and we know this uh, and it's just helping and i'm still educating on this and informing about equity and anti-racism although the world is becoming more diverse in every single possible way the representation is not reflected in companies and that needs to change and that needs to change very quickly because 
companies won't survive this kind of this change, right? We younger generations are so smart and savvy. They don't work for companies like that anymore. They don't want to work for a company that's pale, male, and stale at the top. They want to work where they see representation, where they see people, you know, that old saying, you can't be what you can't see. It's very true. So I think really anything that points to a partnership where you're actually talking very much the same mission, vision, vision and values and goals and set them and actually make it happen. And I think that's the, probably the only thing I would say to every single organization out there that's looking to be progressive and survive for the next five, 10 years. Yeah, that's very, very helpful. Thank you. That And it's so important to distinguish between equity and equality, because often what we see, um, in particular in corporate companies, is let's have a women's network. And it's the it's the senior women from a particular background who have access to help if they have caring responsibilities and dependence. Meanwhile, maybe there's outsourced cleaning companies and maintenance and facilities companies, no chance. They are never going to be invited to those women's networks. Uh yeah, and that's and they are do very vital jobs, and they don't have often the um, the basics in terms of employment rights and employment support, um, and the framework around them. So yeah, we see that so much, um, and I, I bang on about it quite a lot because I feel really angry about it, especially you know with the strikes that are going on and things that we're seeing. And it's a really simple thing that can be done. Absolutely, it's so simple, um, but I I also see a lot of let's get rid of DEI right now because we're we're struggling and it's not the first thing to think about going because that's going to hurt you in the long run right that that's going to definitely impact your bottom line when it comes to it in the next couple of years when we're out of this economic downturn if that's what you want to refer to it as i actually think that every company has a choice and if they choose to invest in learning and development, professional development and growth around all of this, then they're going to survive. That's so helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And seen a lot of that, that going on. Um, and given that your work is so aligned with your values and you're an incredibly busy person, you're a parent, you do a lot. How do you look after your own mental health? What are your top three tips you'd like to share with listeners? Oh, I absolutely prioritize mental health because I've been so close to burnout several times um and I'm not I'm not shy of saying it don't think you have to hustle every single day it's not life you're not balancing anything at all in fact you're going to run yourself to the ground become completely exhausted and not be able to do anything for yourself or for others. So I always talk about filling your cup first. And I even talk to my clients about this as well. Some of the most important things and the first, and I would guess the priority is breathing. When we get stressed out and we get anxious, we stop breathing. And your breath work is extremely important. In fact, I do that in some of my training calls because I think it's one of the most important things. Um, and napping. Napping is underrated. I need to nap. I'm going to be honest with you. I need to have a nap in the day. And and people say to me, oh, so how do you, with all that you're doing, how on earth do you find time to have a nap? Well, 10 minutes, close your eyes, breathe. And 
you know, no matter what, you can do that at your desk. Like, and even if you're working from home, it's perfect because you can just sit there and just close your eyes, focus on your breath, close your eyes. That is a form of napping. You can call it meditation if you like. Um, but I love it. Absolutely love it. And then nature. Nature's the other thing. Taking a walk in fresh air, 10 minutes, brisk walk, looking at everything around you, not on your phone, not, you know, looking at your phone and looking at the ground because that's not taking in anything. You're not even having a break from what you're doing. So do that. And then the third and final thing is people, connection, community so important and I think we forget that how that human nature of talking and speaking with people and just having that connection with someone is vital for your own mental health as well as theirs you know it's so important sometimes I it's much easier to to text somebody but don't pick up the phone or meet them in person for a coffee. Because I think we've forgotten that since, you know, post-pandemic. We're so used to just jumping on a video call these days, which is okay if you live really far away. But I really encourage you to meet those people in person if you can to make those connections again. Um, it, it really helps. It really helps your mental health. It really helps you uh, connect and just socialize again. Fabulous. Thank you. Really great tips there. Um, and finally, Pinky, if people want to work with you, how should they contact you? And I will, of course, include these in the show notes. Thank you. Um, so you can follow us, uh, Net Women. If you just do at Net Women, you'll find us. We are on LinkedIn primarily, uh, Instagram, Facebook as well. And you can also book a call with me, calendly.com slash netwomen. Brilliant. And thank you so much for sharing so much, being so open, of course, telling your story for South Asian Heritage Month, but also giving really good insights for people to action now. So thank you so much, Pinky. Thanks, Leila. It's been a pleasure. It's been a joy. And listeners, we'll catch you in the next episode where we'll be doing more on South Asian Heritage Month. Until then, everyone, take care. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.